The first reading is from Matthew chapter 7, beginning at verse 24. The wise and foolish builders. Everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the wind blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. When Jesus had finished saying these things, the crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as their teachers of the law. And the second reading today is from 1 Corinthians chapter 13, beginning at verse 4. And maybe like many of you and many people who seek to join their lives in love, We actually had this at our wedding. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Amen. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for bringing us here this morning, either in a person or online. And I just want to ask, Lord, that you would take the words of my mouth and they would express the thoughts of your hearts and they would speak to our spirits. And Lord, help us just to be open to you, to your word, to your Holy Spirit in this moment. And just help me to be clear. And also, Lord, I want to, I want to pray for fluency as well, because that because that always helps. Amen. Um, I chose the reading of the wise and foolish builders because it was a parable that Jesus told to remind us that our faith needs to be built on the solid foundation of God's word. And that's what makes a solid foundation for life. And not to do so is to build our lives on sand, And sand will not withstand the storms of life when they come. And probably most of us have known that story for all our lives. But what happens when believers can't agree on what that that solid foundation is? Some consider a particular belief to be rock, whereas others believe that it's sand and vice versa. Can they love and respect each other when they can't agree perhaps what's rock 
and what is sand over, over certain things. Throughout the history of the church, there has always been times when believers have disagreed about the right thing to do. Can we own slaves? Can we take human life in war? Can we baptize infants or should we only baptize adults? Can we remarry after divorce? Should women be allowed to preach and teach and even become bishops? Today, perhaps the question the church is wrestling with more than any other is whether God can bless a relationship between two people of the same sex who love each other and want to be together for the rest of their lives. Is this a relationship that God approves of? Or do we believe that God's word makes it clear that marriage is only between a man and a woman and the intimacy of marriage is only in that context? And therefore, we can't reconcile same-sex relationships as acceptable to him. Which is rock and which is sand? One of the most difficult things in life is not deciding between right and wrong or good and evil. That's easy. We can do that. It's when we have to choose between the good and the good. To want to build the house of your life and faith on what you believe God's word says is good. But to want to celebrate the relationship of two people who love each other deeply and want to be together for the rest of their lives, even if they're of the same sex, well, that surely must be good too. And when one seems to contradict the other, well, that's, that's not easy. Up until 30 or 40 years ago, this whole question of same-sex marriage wasn't really an issue for the church, as the voices of gay people were rarely heard. And the church's theology about gay people helped to maintain that silence. But since then, changes in society have made it safe for same-sex couples to live together openly and to model deep, faithful and loving relationships. And, and many now want to be a part of God's church and want to know that if they do, their relationship will be celebrated and not frowned upon. Now, the reason I've chosen to speak about this at this time is because of the recent developments in the Church of England called Prayers of Love and Faith, where the bishops have now voted with just a, a small number dissenting to allow prayers of blessings for same-sex couples. But I also want to talk about it because of letters I've received from gay couples asking if they would be welcome in our church. These are just two letters I've received in the past year. Dear Patrick, I hope this finds you well. I live in Fleet and am a Christian. I moved here before COVID, and then because of the pandemic, I didn't find a church I was able to join. It then felt really hard to find one, as so long had gone by. In the interim, my faith has been nurtured by watching online services, usually from HTB in London. However, the other reason I've been nervous about trying to find a church is because I'm gay and church doesn't feel the safest place right now for, for many of us. However, I know I'm called to be in Christian community and I just need to find one that will accept me and my partner. I wanted to ask if we'd be welcome at your church. Best wishes. And then another 
We live on the heath, and I wanted to inquire if your church is one that accepts same-sex relationships. We're a family of two mums and two children, and exploring faith at the moment. Best wishes. I'll come on to my response to those letters in a bit. But the reason why I chose to call the title of this talk, Call to Love, is because I think it speaks to us in two ways. Firstly, because many human beings, gay or straight, sense a call to love at some point in their lives, a call to love someone as a life partner whom they will love above all others. And secondly, because each one of us, whether we're single or we're married, we're all called to love one another, despite our differences, and even when we don't agree on what is rock and what is sand. Despite our disagreements, we're all called to love. So what I want to do this morning is summarize briefly the two ways Christians understand same-sex relationships and why these conflict. Then we're going to watch two five-minute videos which come from the Living in Love and Faith course where two gay people tell their story and how they've chosen to respond to their story. And then I'm going to close with a summary of the developments in our partner denominations and how we might respond as a, as a church. And just to say that quite, quite apart from what we read in the media and what's going on all, all around us, I know that this whole subject may be deeply personal for some of you here, either because of your own experience or because it affects someone whom you love who is close to you. So the most helpful framework I found to summarize the two ways of understanding same-sex relationships is with these six words, boundary, barrier, sacrifice, burden, truth, and injustice. And I'm just going to say what I mean by these words in this context. Boundary, Proverbs 2.28, do not move an ancient boundary stone set up by your ancestors. A boundary is something positive. It's like when, when we say that children need boundaries. They're given to us to protect us from harm. And if we cross a boundary, then we make ourselves vulnerable and we need to get back to the safe side of the boundary as quickly as we can. A barrier, however... Oh, it's not moving on for some reason. There we go. For he himself is our peace who has made the two groups one and has destroyed the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility. So that was talking about the, the early church between Greek and Jews. And a barrier is generally a negative thing. It separates people and creates division between people who should be together and united. So a barrier generally needs to be broken down, and it's generally man-made. A sacrifice, then Jesus said to his disciples, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross and follow me. It's generally something positive in that it's something you're called to give up or to offer in order to fulfill a calling. It might not be easy, hence the word sacrifice, you may need help and support as you, as you do this, but it's for the greater good, and it's something that God requires of you. But then you've got burden. Jesus said the Pharisees 
tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders. It's a load you carry that actually you shouldn't be carrying. And it's a load that God wants you to be free from so that you can live in freedom and serve him better. You've got truth. Jesus said, sanctify them by your truth. Your word is truth. Truth is what we understand to be right and holds to be true at all times and in all places under all circumstances. It's God-given and it serves as our true north, giving us clear direction and the ability to make right choices. And then lastly, injustice. Jesus said the second is this, love your neighbor as yourself. Injustice occurs when we believe that people are not being respected or treated with fairness. It's when we see others being treated in a way that we ourselves would not want to be treated. So to relate these six words to same-sex relationships, those who believe that actually these can't be blessed by God, no matter how faithful and true they may seem, they're out of God's boundary. The boundary that God has given is marriage between man and a woman. And the church crosses this boundary at its peril. And they would argue that much of the, of the sexual confusion today, particularly with the younger generation, when it comes to gender identity, this has come about because, as a society, we've now crossed this boundary. Then sacrifice. Here, the expectation would be that if you're gay, then you're automatically called to singleness and celibacy. Sacrifice comes with our call to follow Christ, whoever we are. And for the gay person, being single is a cross that they must carry. And because in five places in the Old and New Testaments, homosexuality is spoken of negatively, this is seen as a non-negotiable truth, hence the last one, truth. And to believe otherwise is to simply give in to the pressures of the surrounding culture. So on this side of the ledge, you've got boundary, sacrifice and truth. But those who believe that we should welcome gay couples into the church family, they would see non-inclusion as a barrier they would say, yes, the scriptures prohibit something that is called homosexuality. But the sort of behavior it describes and the way it's listed alongside sins such as drunkenness, adultery and murder, can they really be talking about the sort of loving and committed relationships between two people of the same sex that we see modeled today? They would say that same-sex attraction isn't a choice. Rather, it's a gift that is best expressed in the permanent, faithful, stable relationship that looks a lot like heterosexual marriage. And of the question of sacrifice or burden, they would say that if celibacy is a calling, then we can't expect every gay person to be called to celibacy any more than we can expect that of heterosexuals. And to demand that requirement places too huge a burden on them, a burden that few heterosexuals could bear. So is this not harsh and therefore unjust? And if it's unjust, then how can it be true? Are we not placing a massive burden on them that they shouldn't have to carry? So that's a kind of a six-word summary that I hope helps to highlight the points of tension when it comes 
to these two views of same-sex relationships. Has that been helpful? Okay. What I want to do now is show you two videos. They're from the Living in Love and Faith course. And um, the first is Bill, Jane, and Luke. And then the second is of a young man also called Luke. Unfortunately, we can't show these on the uh, live stream. But if you want to log on to the Living in Love and Faith website, go to the Learning Hub, register yourself, and then go to the the uh, short stories, then you'll be able to see them there. They're uh, five minutes each, so we're going to be ten minutes now watching, watching these two stories. Okay, so two very, very helpful, very, very powerful videos that kind of, you know, in, in a sense, illustrates the, the two sides of those, of those six words. Um, so the first Luke would, would very much sort of be on the side of the, the barrier of the burden and the injustice, and he wouldn't want you know, anybody else to be in the situation that he found himself in. But the other Luke would probably want to place himself on the, on the other side with boundary, with sacrifice. He spoke a lot about that. And he was able to, in God's strength, he was able to undertake that sacrifice. And therefore, he would see the traditional interpretation of marriage, even though he's gay, he would see that as truth. So I'm just going to park that one there and just spend a few moments talking about our, our different partner denominations and where they are when it comes to same-sex couples. Most of you know that the Church on the Heath is a partnership of four denominations, Anglican, Baptist, Methodist, and United Reformed. And all of them have come to the place where they're either now already permitting same-sex marriages or they're moving in that direction. With the Baptist, Methodist, and United Reformed churches, it's left to individual congregations to decide whether they want to register for same-sex marriage. So they have to opt in. It's not that they can automatically. And nobody is obliged to um, opt in. Now, it's the Anglican church that's been particularly in the news recently because it's now voted to authorise liturgy to bless same-sex relationships. You may remember that when same-sex marriage was legalised by the Cameron government almost 10 years ago, the Church of England put up a strong resistance, mainly out of fear that it would become compulsory for ministers to officiate same-sex weddings in their churches. So in order to allay those fears and move things forward, the government said, right, not only will we assure you that we won't make it compulsory for you to marry gay couples in your churches. We will make it illegal for you to do so. So hopefully that will put your mind at rest. So the Church of England found it was the, the one denomination out of all of them that was legally barred from marrying same-sex couples in uh, churches. Some ministers were hugely relieved. Others were actually very, very sad because they wanted to be able to do that. Almost a decade on, this law is still in place, but there's an increasing desire from within the church for this to be changed. 
and the Living in Love and Faith course that churches ran last year across the whole nation was part of that discernment process. What's the kind of sense that believers have about this within, within the Church of England? So as a response to that, they're now sort of making it that soon ministers will be able to confer a blessing on uh, same-sex couples. So we're kind of a step in that direction. But in reaction to this, some churches are now coming together to set up alternative structures for those congregations that want to remain faithful to the traditional view of marriage and feel that they can't continue down the road that the Church of England is now going. So in effect, new denominations will come into being as a result of what's happening. What is becoming clear, though, and this has come up several times in the Christian press recently, is that gay people are asking churches to state clearly on their websites where they stand and whether they would be welcome at that church. And by welcome, they don't mean that they'll just be greeted warmly at the door and welcomed as part of the congregation. But will people be for them? Will people be for their relationship? Or will they be hoping that they'll be healed and changed? And if they sense the call to lead or to preach or even train for ministry, would they be encouraged and equipped Or would their same-sex relationship suddenly become a barrier, i.e. would the welcome be limited and qualified? Now, with the two letters I read earlier that I received this year, asking me if the church on the heath welcomes same-sex couples, the first thing I said in both my replies is that I am so sorry that you even have to ask that question, but I do understand the reasons why you do. And then I went on to say that Our congregation is made up of those with different views and I'd love to meet for coffee to get to know them and to chat a little bit more with them about what it would mean to worship here. And I also shared that we welcomed a same-sex couple in a civil partnership here 10 years ago who were with us for five years before they moved on to a church uh, closer to home. And I was able to meet for coffee with um, one of the people that wrote me the letter. But so far, he and his partner haven't joined us. But putting a sign up on the website or on our church door saying LGBT, a welcome here, it's kind of easier than it sounds. When um, you have a congregation that you know and love and you know that different views are held and they're held with great integrity And after a great deal of searching the scriptures, it's not easy to go one way or the other way. And I know that if we were to put a sign up like that, I think a number of our our congregation, people I know and love dearly, would in all conscience feel that the church on the heath could no longer be their spiritual home. And that would be difficult for all of us. Personally, I would love to offer same-sex couples a full welcome here at the church on the Heath. That's my own, my own, uh, uh, my own view. (laughs) I was going to say settled and it wouldn't come, honestly. But I, I think too, as minister here, that it is so important that we hold on to the theological generosity that is a mark of our ecumenical foundation for as long as we can, so that our call to love means 
that there is room for different understandings of same-sex relationships and that everyone feels safe here, whatever view they hold. There may come a time when this generosity comes under too much strain. I'm, I'm aware that it's a, a kind of a chicken and egg and, and lesson until you put a sign up, people won't come and until people come, you won't actually move on. I'm fully, fully aware of that. So there may come a time when our unity comes under too much strain and we have to decide one way or the other. In which case, as we have in many occasions in the past, we'll come together lovingly and prayerfully and do our best to discern the mind of Christ for our church as we move forward. But together and always mindful of our call to love. So to bring things to a close, how do we live out our call to love in this context? Four things. Firstly, we try to be a church where people can tell their stories. It's so important to listen to those who see things differently and find out what's led them to believe what they believe. And for anyone who would like to do that, I'm starting the Living in Love and Faith course again next Sunday afternoon at four o'clock for the next five Sundays. We'll meet in the Carl Thought Room and uh, they've got many, many more of the sort of story videos. And it's a safe space to just share your experience, to share your thoughts, to share your beliefs. The idea is not to try and change people's minds, but to get people talking about a subject that churches find very hard to uh, talk about. So there's a sign up at the back of church there um, on the uh, table by the Cloverly Hall photos. So do, if you want to sign up, do that. Secondly, we acknowledge that this is complex and wherever we stand, there is a cost. Whichever view you hold, there will always be someone you feel you are letting down or even betraying. You know they would love you to see this in the way that they do, but you know that in all conscience that you can't. It might be family, friends, work, colleagues. Whichever view you hold, it isn't easy. Thirdly, we don't speak ill of those with whom we disagree. And we don't name call. We don't call those who hold the traditional view homophobic because they're not. I don't think you could call Luke in that second video homophobic. And we don't say that those who affirm same-sex relations have abandoned scripture because they haven't. They've just been trying to choose between the good and the good. We act kindly. We treat one another as brothers and sisters in Christ. Our task is not to judge or to condemn, simply to love. And lastly, we realize that we're all on a journey. And the way I see things now may not be the way I see them in five years' time as I gain new insight and understanding. And as we saw with the videos, that change can happen both ways. And as Paul says at the end of his words about love, just a bit further on from where Chris read for us, he said, for now, we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I am fully known. And these three things remain, faith, hope, and love. And the greatest of these is love. Let's have a moment of, of quietness now and just ask God 
to just fill our hearts with his peace at this moment, to reassure us of his presence and to know that all will be well. And if at the end of this service you would like to pray, as we usually do, do please just come to the corner and we would just love to pray with with you for whatever is on your heart, whatever you would like God to do in your life.